The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. That was a lovely introduction. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> Today's chosen topic is modesty. Wait, don't get up. Don't run out, okay? Stay with me. It's such a hard topic to talk about. Why is that? What are we afraid of? Have church leaders used it to be beat up on people? Maybe. They probably meant well. They probably wanted the best for you and for me. But why can't we talk about it? We live in a culture that is telling us that no one gets to tell me who to be and what to be. In fact, the voices in our culture say, you can't tell me what to do or what to think. Did anyone watch the Super Bowl last Sunday? Well, I made it through the first couple minutes. <laughs> I'm not exactly a football fan, but I got into it long enough to see a Bud Light commercial. Mm. And that really got my attention, not because of the beer, I promise you. <laughs> the video and the music was very, caught my attention. I had to go look it up. The song, I don't know if any of you caught this, but the song in it is called Zero in the Way of Possibility, and it's sung by Barbara Streisand. The zero part is like the light part of the beer. Okay, whatever. Um, the scenes in it focus on a city apartment that's like with concrete walls and other limited closed-in spaces, and these spaces are breaking wide open. The lyrics go like this, gotta move, gotta get out of here. No, no, I'm sorry, let me do it again. Gotta move, gotta get out, gotta leave this place, gotta find some brand new place, some place where every face I see won't be staring back at me, telling me what to do or what to be, oh, let me fix this, telling me what to be and how to be. Did you catch that? What to be and how to be, you can't tell me. We can't talk about modesty because that means somebody might tell you what to be and how to be. Did you hear that? Isn't that a loud messaging battle in our culture? Not just in terms of dress, but in practically everything. Let's just think about modesty today. Back in the days of my youth, they did talk about it. When I was a young girl in the 1970s, um, I grew up as a Mennonite in Lancaster County. And I guarantee you, Dress codes were important back then. I wore these little things called culottes. Most of you don't even know what they look like unless you look it up on the internet. They're like this cross between a skirt and a pair of shorts. And supposedly they were more modest, I'm not sure. I was allowed to wear those though. I can't complain, it was much easier for me than for my mom. When she was a young girl, she had to wear these dresses that went like way down like past your knees, and then there was this other piece of material, it was called a cape dress. This other piece of material, it came over the front of her and tucked in at the waist. It was supposed to be more modest. She had to wear her hair up in a bonnet, and it had strings. And the big argument in those days was the girls didn't want to wear strings anymore. Every culture has its own little modesty battles. Um, here at Cairn, You've heard stories, I know, of what the dress code used to look like. Um, I remember when my husband was a student here, um, they weren't allowed to wear jeans. 
and they had to wear a shirt with a collar. And one day, he got a white slip. Get this? He got a white slip because he forgot his belt. <laughs> and you say, this is not really modesty. This is a dress code. But I say that it's all related to dressing in a community. We are always trying to find our way in this sea of appropriateness. Now, clothing in general in the Bible is quite interesting. We can sort of start in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and when they first noticed that they were naked, they quick sewed together some fig leaves. When, and then God took mercy on them and got them some animal skins to spiff up their wardrobe. We also get to some other parts of clothing that are interesting in the Bible, is that Joseph had a coat of many colors. That seems rather flashy, don't you think? It was, actually. It was really expensive. Dyes were unusual and expensive in those days. So to create a coat that had lots of color meant that, he was, that Jacob was rich enough to get Joseph a coat with many colors, but, it was a, but he was dressing in community there even. It caused a sense of jealousy amongst his brothers. See, our dress can cause problems. Esther, she was a queen. She wore beautiful queen's robes. She would, that would not have been appropriate for her to get up in a, a wool, uh, plain garb. No. The priests wore special robes. The guidelines in the Old Testament are very vague. They don't leave us with specifics for today, which is why through the years we've seen all these changes. The Old Testament had some, some, just some interesting little things. You weren't allowed to mix linen and wool. And guess this, you weren't allowed to have men and women exchange clothes. Now think about that for a second. Back in the ancient days, they all wore robes, men and women. So what was different about their clothes? Doesn't seem to be much difference to me, but this was important to God. Men were supposed to wear tassels on the four corners of their garments. Women wore a veil. We know that's important because Jacob thought he was going to be marrying Rachel, and he ended up with Leah. Now, really, dress didn't change much for thousands of years. It was likely mostly robes for both men and women. Let's fast forward to about 500 years ago. Dress did start to change. Think about the Victorians, what they wore. The women had to wear skirts that went all the way to the floor because it was too immodest to show your ankles, and yet they could have plunging necklines. What's with that? In the, in the 1700s, men, guys, if you had to wear what they wore in the 1700s, you would be just uh, mortified. You know what they wore, these tight little knickers with, with socks that went up to their knees. They wore these black shoes with the fancy buckles. And don't forget the powdered wig, okay? You were looking more distinguished if you had one of those powdered wigs. Now, some cultures didn't change much. Think about the women in Saudi Arabia, or Pakistan or Afghanistan, or India. A lot of those cultures still have women wearing long, flowing, robe-like attire. Appropriate dress, in many ways, is culturally defined. And as a student here at Cairn, it is important to understand your cultural context. Now, Cairn has updated their section in the student handbook under the subtitle, Modesty. And I recommend Maybe you all have read it, I'm not sure. But if you haven't, 
I recommend you go read it. I think you need to know what your expectations are as a student. It's so well done. It's so beautifully written. Uh, it's loving, it's, it's carefully worded, it's respectful. For example, it says the, st the standards of modesty at Cairn University are established to be an outward expression of a heart that acknowledges that care should be taken in the selection of clothing in order to be presentable in a Christian educational community. I love that. An outward expression of our hearts. And a little further down, it says, modesty begins not with a list, but with the desires of our heart. We need a deeper understanding of modesty. And I want to examine our heart's desires. Let's go back to the word modesty. I actually looked for a different word because I thought you'd all get up and walk out when I said I was going to talk about modesty. So I went to the synonym list online. There's some really cool words. Decency, humility, propriety, purity, reticence, virtue, constraint, humbleness, meekness, unpretentious, unostentatiousness. I like that one reserve, or prudery. Or, ah, there are some good words in that list, but I got to tell you, in the end, I decided to stick with modesty. I really like it. I like this word. It's a good word. Um, <clears throat> it actually comes from the Latin word modus, or modus, which refers to one who sets a limit or does not swing to extremes. In Greek, it translates more like moderation, but I thought moderation was a boring word, too. Our culture loves extremes. We like extreme sports. Extreme political views get all of the headlines. We like extremes. But the idea of moderation is connected to modesty. And finding the middle and a sense of balance is certainly a very wise course of action in many circumstances. According to Webster Dictionary, modesty has two meanings. The first one is the quality of not being too proud or confident about yourself or your abilities. The second one is propriety in dress, speech, or conduct. I want to examine the second one. Propriety in dress, speech, or conduct. Take a minute and think about it. Modesty does not matter unless it's in context. It does not really exist alone or in isolation. Modesty can only exist in context, in context of other people or in our relationship before God. And I want to look at modesty in both of those contexts. So let's consider modesty in the context of other people. First of all, we have to look at motive. When we put our clothes on, what is our motive? Obviously, sometimes it's quite practical. The basketball team isn't gonna put on snow pants and goggles and play their best game. I am not going to go check my beehives in my bathing suit. That would be unadvised. <laughs> Many of our clothing uh, choices are exactly very practical. And I am a very practical dresser, I confess. I, I sometimes maybe am a little too practical. There's this little interesting interaction my husband and I had not too long ago. When I am out in the garden, I want to wear the oldest, rattiest t-shirts that I have, and the old, oldest, most disgusting jeans that I have. 
I, want, I don't want to ruin something that's nice. I want to wear the oldest, rattiest thing that I have. And some of my t-shirts were looking pretty ratty. And one day, my husband says to me, why don't you get rid of that t-shirt? I'm like, well, it doesn't have any holes in it. It just has a few stains on it from the dirt. He goes, well, I don't like looking at you in that. <laughs> now, that's important, right? We dress in context. He didn't want to see my ratty old t-shirt. He said, why can't you work in the garden in something that you actually look good in? I'm like, well, what is that? What would I look good? And he had an idea, all right? He wanted to see me in a Western shirt that I could roll up the sleeves and, you know, loose fitting, protect me from the sun, but look good. I'm like, you know what? Why not? I'm, I should be dressing to make him happy, right? He's my context. He's the one that has to look at me while I'm out working. It doesn't really matter what I wear, so guess what? Him knowing how frugal I am, he went on eBay and found the cheapest, least expensive Western-style shirts so that he could enjoy seeing me gardening in more traditional things than ratty old t-shirts. I love wearing those Western shirts for him. We dress in context. We dress with, with other people in mind. That doesn't mean I can't express my own desires for dress. Of course, we express ourselves, but we cannot forget that we dress in a context of others. Sometimes it's not as simple as making a practical decision. decision. Could we be the source of jealousy and envy for someone by what we wear? Could we be the source of lust for someone by what we wear? I read this really wonderful article um, on the Desiring God website written by Meggie Katanathal, and she says, the idea of modesty has been almost exclusively attached to women's dress, narrowing in definition to mean showing less skin and trying to prevent sexual arousal in those looking on. She goes on to say, clearly modesty is not just a woman's issue, and the enemy of our souls would delight to see us reduce it to such. Consider how he's expertly used our largely male-focused exhortations on lust to convince many women to fearfully hide behind their sin from, from the exposing light of confession, or to delude them into thinking their hungry, wandering eye can't be lust simply because they aren't men. Did you get that? Satan is delighted when he has convinced us women that we can't really be guilty of lust because that's a man's problem. The issue of dressing modestly is not just a women's issue. Both men and women can be guilty of lust. Both men and women can dress immodestly. Remember, modesty exists in the context of other people. Cultural expectations and peer pressure exert pressures on our decision-making. Men and women are bombarded with images on social media every day that push us to present our bodies to the world as sexy. Men and women can dress in ways that express our cultural preoccupation with sex, sexiness, and a distorted view of attractiveness. Why is it so easy to use the word hot? Are we just used to it? What is it implying? Are we honoring each other by using words that exploit our appearance in the light of sexual desire? 
if I had wanted to single out women, I would have gone straight to 1 Peter 3, 3 to 4, where Peter says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let the, uh, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is actually a beautiful passage of scripture. It is embedded in a context of how to be in marriage. But I want us to jump down to verse 8 in that, in that passage, where Peter says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. As we put our clothes on, we need to be mindful that our clothes can affect those around us. How easy is it to let the trends of our secular culture tempt us? It's easy to think, well, everyone dresses that way, so I can. Isn't it ironic that that Bud Light commercial wanted to reject other people's expectations on us? But when it comes to clothes, we succumb easily to wanting to do what the world is doing. Megan Hill writes for the Gospel Coalition in an article on modesty about dressing in light of the community. She says, we don't get dressed with an eye only to ourselves. We get dressed as people who belong to other people. She quotes our first Peter passage, and then she also quotes one in First Timothy that cautions us against the costly attire. That verse says women should adorn themselves, and I know it's focusing on women, but men, honestly, it fits both of us. Um, women should adorn ourselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. She goes on to say that these words publicly called the congregations to create a culture in which godliness is more important than our clothing. In other words, we care more about our hearts than about our outfits. We don't want our clothing to be an occasion for jealousy or for lust. It may not be our responsibility if someone else sins, but it is our privilege to help prevent it. Are we willing? Are we willing to choose our clothing to encourage the holiness of our community? We need to ask ourselves if our clothing is drawing attention to ourselves or to our body parts. The student handbook has a, does a nice job of reminding us of our responsibility to be professional in our attire. And that's a slightly different take on this whole thing, that idea of being appropriate and professional. Not only is it important to think about professionalism, but we need to think about our clothes in responding to authority or respecting authority. That's a godly characteristic. When I go to work as a nurse, I wear neat, clean scrubs, I wear black shoes, and I wear a black jacket. I also, out of respect for the authority in my life, I wear a mask every single day, all day when I'm at work, out of respect for the authority in my workplace. Peter has something to say about that too. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 14 says, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. When you are a student here, you are under the authority of the school. 
I love the way the handbook actually talks about this. It says um, that we are all in community together. Accountability is reached when we are willing to be challenged by those with whom we live in a community. So if you have a staff member come to you and say, hey, I don't think that that fits with Karen's dress code, are you going to be willing to hear what they say? Let's not forget Peter's encouragement to all of us to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. Megan Hill is spot on when she says it may not be our responsibility if someone, if someone else sins, but it surely is our privilege to help prevent it by choosing clothes that encourages the holiness of the community. Now, when we began this little talk, I said modesty exists in context of other people, but it also exists in our context to God. Who are we? Whose are we? We are children of God. The songs that we sang together today, didn't they just turn our hearts into surrendering to Jesus? We are children of God. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. They belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? We are not our own. Our identity in Christ must overwhelm us here. When we speak, when we put on clothes, when we go places, when we do things, is it representative of who we are in Christ? We've been bought with a price. We are, we are redeemed by Christ's shed blood on the cross. We are not our own. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Perhaps the opposite of making provision for the flesh to gratify its desires is found in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where Paul says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Modesty in dress is really a subset of modesty in character. Remember that definition from Webster? The first one. Quality of not being too proud or confident about yourself or your abilities. How can we accomplish that part of modesty? I think it's by understanding who we are in Christ. So now that we've examined our hearts... I'd like to just take a few minutes to read some of the specific guidelines, just in case you were thinking about not going back to your room and reading the handbook. <laughs> I'm going to just pull a couple of them out because I have a little time left, so I might as well. Um, okay, so did you know that you're not supposed to wear hoods in the classroom, like hoodies, and you're not supposed to have your earbuds in the classroom? Did you know that? Okay. All right. You're supposed to take them off before class and before entering chapel. Well, I don't see any hoodies or earbuds now, so that's good. Thank you. I appreciate that respect. Um, you're supposed to wear shoes at all times when you're in the academic buildings, chapel, and the dining hall. I know you think this is all silly, right? These are just dress codes. This is not really modesty. What about this one? Shirts must be worn at all times. Well, that seems like very like a good thing, right? This is included in the athletic center. So, but I think we have to decide, d define what a shirt is, don't you think? 
Yeah, we need to define what a shirt is. Muscle shirts should not be worn on campus, guys, including workout settings, not in the dining hall, not walking back to the dorm, not on a run outside. Tops should not be low cut, skin tight, or sheer. Sports bras, bralettes, bandos, and similar style tops are not considered shirts. Bras must be worn in the accompaniment garment, in an accompanying undergarment with modest and appropriate clothing outside the dorms. Now we are clear what a shirt is and what it is not. All right, um, shirts, skirt, shorts, shorts, skirts, and dresses should cover the upper thigh and buttocks. Short skirts are not permitted, short, I'm sorry, short shorts are not commit, permitted for men or women. Elongated slits on skirts or dresses going above the mid-thigh are not permitted. But pajamas are not permitted outside the residence hall. Pajama pants. Mm -hmm. Clothing should not advertise products or activities contrary to biblical lifestyle. I don't know if any of you are uncomfortable when I read these. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go to the, there's more. <laughs> I'm not going to read them. Go to the handbook and read them. And think about being submissive to the authority that's over you. It should be a joy to be submissive to the authority over you. Not drudgery, not a hard task. So let's review. Our practices of modesty are a reflection of our heart's desire in community. It is our privilege to dress in ways that encourage the holiness of our community. Professionalism and authority influence our decision-making. And finally, modesty is a reflection of our identity in Christ. We are not our own. I want to leave you with Paul's challenge to us in Romans 12, 1 to 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, by the trans but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for these wise guidance um, in words, in our student handbook, in the scripture. We just thank you that you have given us a set of standards to follow, and that these standards are standards of our heart, that these standards apply to our desires, that we want to please you. Lord, I just hope that we can all be challenged to do as we sung earlier, and that is to surrender, to want to do these things, to want to live in a way that gives you honor and glory in the way we dress, the way we treat each other, and the way we honor you. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.